Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 92, Cabbages and Kings. OK, it's time to concentrate. This chapter is going to be a bit complicated, so listen carefully, or you'll forget who's alive, who's dead, who's abdicated and retired, who's abdicated and tried to return, who's persecuting the Christians, who's tolerating the Christians, and who's on his way to becoming a Christian. The 18 years between 306 and 324 would see seven emperors reigning, at one point six of them at the same time, many battles and a Roman world so divided by civil war that it was lucky there were no serious invasions from outside the empire. Right, hold on to your seats, here goes. In 306, Constantius Chlorus died, and so there were three emperors on the throne. Or is it thrones? One Augustus and two Caesars. But a tetrarchy means that there are four people reigning, so now it needed completing. Unfortunately, the completion of the Tetrarchy did not go smoothly. As soon as Constantius was known to be dead, his troops proclaimed his son emperor. Constantine was popular with his father's troops, and they wanted nobody else. Constantine immediately sent images of himself in his father's purple robes to Galerius. It's not certain whether he originally claimed to be a Caesar or a full Augustus. Either way, it wasn't long before he was proclaiming that he was an Augustus. When he received the message, Galerius was filled with blind rage and declared he was going to burn both the message and the messenger. In the end, though, he consented to Constantine being Caesar and promoted Severus to the rank of Augustus. Constantine's legions, though, still thought of him as a senior emperor. So, at this stage, number of emperors, four. Later in 306, though, another proclamation ruined even the appearance of a united tetrarchy. The people and senate of Rome had become a little ticked off that they had lost their importance, and they had become much more than a little ticked off that Galerius had decided they should now pay tax. Even Diocletian, although he taxed the rest of Italy, had not taxed the people of Rome itself. The people, the senate and the Praetorian Guard were ready to revolt. They were in the mood for revolting, and revolt they did. They had a ready-made person to turn to. Maximian's son Maxentius was sulking in a palace in Rome, and was only too pleased to accept when he was declared emperor. There was no messing about being a Caesar this time. Nope, Maxentius was proclaimed Augustus of Italy and Africa. So, number of emperors, five. This time though, Galerius was not in the mood to accept another emperor, and ordered Severus to march on Rome and overthrow this usurper. Maxentius, meanwhile, was keen to consolidate his hold on power, and found a perfect way to do it he sent some imperial robes to his father, who wasn't too keen on this retirement business, and thus Maximian agreed to become co-emperor with his son. Number of emperors? Six. Yep, six. Severus and his army reached Rome in February 307 and settled in for a long siege. Maxentius, though, had something that Severus didn't. Lots and lots of money. He sneakily sent some of his most trusted men out into the besieging army, They offered the troops big wads of cash to desert and come over to his side. Many of the soldiers had served under the great soldier, Maximian, and didn't need too much persuasion to support the old man's son. Severus, scared for his life, fled to the virtually impregnable city of Ravenna. In future years, when Rome became too dangerous, the western emperors would make this port city their capital. Maximian, though, pursued Severus to the coastal fortress, and, realising he couldn't take it by force, cleverly tricked Severus into surrendering by promising him he would not be harmed. Severus agreed, 
abdicated and was escorted to Rome as a prisoner. Number of emperors? Five again. Galerius was now hopping mad. At the head of a powerful army collected from Illyricum and the east, he entered Italy, determined to revenge Severus and to punish the rebellious Romans. But due to the military skills of Maximian and the big bribes of Maxentius, Galerius found every place in Italy hostile, fortified and unfriendly. Seeing that he was facing ever greater difficulties, Galerius sent two officers to tempt the citizens of Rome by the offer of a conference and the declaration that he felt warmly towards Maxentius and why didn't they try talking about things. But Maxentius had by now managed to bribe the Illyrian legions too. Galerius found his kind offer refused and barely escaped with his life. He was, by now, even more cross than Aurelian had been when he had to smash Palmyra twice. The senior Augustus was still better off than his junior colleague Severus, who was executed by Maximian once Galerius had retreated. During this time, Constantine was busy on the Rhine frontier, handing out some beatings to the Alamanni and the Franks. He was a capable and fearless general, and his campaigns were very successful. He was tall, handsome and commanding, but had a very cruel streak. When he defeated the Franks and the Alamanni, he had some of their kings and princes fed to the wild beasts in the amphitheatre at Trier. Constantine was not only a great soldier, he was a politician like none before him. He weighed up the situation and decided that the appearance of Maxentius was not a blow, but a chance to gain a bit more power for himself. He cemented his legitimacy and clearly announced his ambition by marrying one of Maximian's daughters, a lady called Fausta. Maximian, while all this was going on, quarrelled with his own son and then ran to the court of Constantine and declared Constantine to be Augustus. <sighs> now this is really complicated. In 308, Galerius decided it was all becoming a bit too messy and he sought out the one man who probably had the skill and gravitas to sort it out. He and Maximian travelled to a town called Carnuntum and met with the retired creator of the Tetrarchy. Good old Diocletian had spent three years in peaceful retirement while his beautifully crafted system crashed and burned around him. He told his two friends that what they needed was a new Tetrarchy. Galerius and Maximine Dyer could stay as Augustus and Caesar in the east. In the west, a new Augustus should be appointed, and Constantine was to be granted only the rank of Caesar. Diocletian told Maximian to retire again, retire properly, and blooming well stay retired this time. Maximian did as he was told. The new Tetrarchy was doomed from the start for three reasons. First, it conveniently ignored the fact that Maxentius was still an accepted Augustus in Rome. Second, there was no way Constantine was going to accept being a Caesar, not an Augustus. Third, Maximine Dyer was very annoyed that first Severus and then some other bloke were promoted to Augustus ahead of him. The new Augustus was another mate of Galerius. His name was Gaius Valerius Licinianus Licinius. Licinius was born in Moesia and followed his childhood friend Galerius into the army. In 307, he was one of the people sent by the senior emperor to talk to Maxentius. Licinius was given Illyricum, Thrace and Pannonia and immediately went to war with the Sarmatians, winning some important victories. Number of emperors, now five. Maximian made an attempt to bring Diocletian out of retirement again. He sent a messenger to the great man, but Diocletian wasn't interested. If you could show the cabbages that I planted with my own hand to your emperor, he said, he definitely wouldn't dare to suggest that I replace the peace and happiness of this place with the storms of a never-satisfied greed.
Diocletian was a very wise man indeed. In 310, Maximian rebelled against Constantine while the emperor was on campaign against the Franks. He'd been sent south to Arles with part of Constantine's army to defend against attacks by Maxentius in southern Gaul. In Arles, Maximian announced that Constantine was dead and took up the purple again. Maximian tried his son's trick of bribing the soldiers, but they were loyal to Constantine. Constantine rushed to Marseille. Maximian was captured, punished for his rebellion and stripped of his title for the third and last time. In July 310, Maximian hanged himself, aged about 60. It was a sad way to go for a man who had been a good and loyal emperor for 19 years. Number of emperors, six again and then five again. Meanwhile, Maximine Dyer was successfully battling the Sassanids. During this campaign, he decided that his time had come and unilaterally had himself declared Augustus. Galerius was crosser than ever about this latest proclamation, but didn't have the energy to fight. He was dying of a very painful disease. He and Maximine Dyer had spent many years viciously persecuting the Christians, and the followers of this obstinate religion declared that his pain was punishment for this persecution. In 311, Galerius ordered the persecution to stop, and hoped that he may be granted some release from his pain. His wish was granted. Galerius finally died in May 311. He was also about 60 years old. He had been a Caesar for 12 years, and then an Augustus for 6. Number of emperors? 4. Licinius and Maximine Dyer quickly divided up Galerius's territory by agreeing a division at the Bosphorus. On the 3rd of December 311, there was another death. The greatest of great men finally departed. The 66-year-old Diocletian died peacefully at his palace in Spalato. The great emperor had abdicated six years before and had remained in retirement even as his new tetrarchic system collapsed around him. The Roman world had never known a leader like him before, and wouldn't know one again. The Lord and Master changed everything because he wanted the Roman Empire to stay strong. Some of his changes didn't last as long as he did, but many others lasted over a thousand years and formed the basis of some of the greatest monarchies of Europe. As 311 became 312, two alliances started to form among the four remaining competing emperors, all now calling themselves Augustus. Maximine Dyer formed an alliance with Maxentius, and Constantine teamed up with Licinius. Licinius married Constantine's sister, Constantia. The emperors prepared for more war. In 312, Constantine moved against Maxentius. He was a good general, but Maxentius, despite his impressive heritage, wasn't. The forces of the son of Constantius soon marched through Italy and approached Rome itself. Constantine had about 40,000 men. Maxentius had all the advantages, he commanded a great walled city and nearly 200,000 followers. There should have been no way Constantine could win. Maxentius, though, was a bad ruler, who had squandered the imperial treasury and was quickly becoming unpopular in the Eternal City. He decided he needed to win a big battle to get back some of his popular esteem. He led his forces out of Rome and crossed the river Tiber at the Milvian Bridge, an ancient bridge which carried a main Roman road over the river. Maxentius decided to meet Constantine's forces on a plain in front of the bridge. He had his engineers construct a clever and much bigger collapsible bridge next to the old bridge because the old one was too narrow to cross quickly if the army needed to retreat. On the eve of the battle, Constantine had an experience which would change his life and the future of the Western world. 
He had a dream or a vision or maybe both. He was told in his dream or vision or maybe both that he should paint his army's shields with the chi and the rho, the first two letters of Jesus Christ's name in Greek. The Christian saviour would then aid him in the battle. Constantine ordered his troops to do this. It's not certain that he became a Christian at this time, but he later claimed that this was the moment he converted. The next day, the two armies clashed, and Constantine won a decisive victory. Already known as a skilful general, he proved it. He first launched his cavalry at the horsemen of Maxentius and savagely broke them. Constantine's infantry then advanced, keen to press home their advantage. Most of Maxentius's troops fought well, but they began to be pushed back towards the Tiber. Maxentius decided it was time to retreat and make another stand at Rome itself. There was only one escape route, and that was to go over the river. It was chaos. What should have been an implementation of a perfectly good retreat plan descended into anarchy. In the crazy loud panic, some of the engineers released the bolts of the collapsible bridge set up alongside the Milvian Bridge, over which many of the legionaries were escaping. The bridge collapsed too early, and many of Maxentius's troops were caught in the rapid current and swept away to their deaths. Those left on the wrong side of the river were killed or captured. Maxentius himself drowned in the river while trying to swim across it in a desperate bid to escape. His body was found and his head cut off, planted on a spike and paraded around Rome. The people of Rome got the message and there was no further rebellion. Number of emperors? Three. In celebration of his great victory, Constantine had Maxentius's two sons executed, along with other members of his family. He then ordered the construction of a triumphal arch. Now, this was against the rules. Emperors only had triumphal arches made when they defeated foreigners. Constantine was celebrating victories against fellow Romans. This was really not on, but the victorious emperor did it anyway. Sadly, there were no great sculptors left in Rome. The art was dying out and so the builders of the arch stripped some of the most beautiful figures from Trajan's column. The new arch was a masterpiece of propaganda. Still there in Rome today, near the entrance to the Colosseum, it displays victories against the Parthians, even though Constantine had never fought them, and was unlikely ever to do so, as they'd been replaced by the Sassanids over 70 years before. With Maxentius defeated and killed at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, it was clear that Maximine Dyer's days were numbered, the last great persecutor of the Christians was met in battle by Licinius near Adrianople, and Maximine was soundly defeated. He fled to Tarsus, where he realised all was hopeless. He took some poison, which acted very slowly, taking about four days to kill him. Maximine Dyer, one of the most unlikely of emperors, died in agony aged about 43. Licinius then had his entire family killed, along with various relatives of other former emperors, including Candidianus, the son of his old friend Galerius. Number of emperors, two. The two remaining Augusti met at Milan and split the provinces between them, Constantine taking all of his current provinces and everywhere that had been held by Maxentius, and Licinius adding Maximine Dyer's territory to his own. In 313, the Augusti issued a world-changing pro proclamation known as the Edict of Milan. By this edict, the two emperors declared that all religions, including Christianity, were to be tolerated and nobody could be persecuted because of their religious beliefs. This was another step in the direction of a Christian empire. Of course, relations between the two remaining emperors didn't stay harmonious. 
First, Constantine suffered an assassination attempt at the hands of someone that Licinius wanted raised to the rank of Caesar. After that, either in 314 or 316, the two Augusti fought against one another at the Battle of Sibylle, with Constantine being victorious. They battled again at the Battle of Mardia in 317, but afterwards agreed to a settlement in which Constantine's sons, Crispus and Constantine, and Licinius's son Licinianus were made Caesars. After this arrangement, Constantine added the diocese of Pannonia and Macedonia to the rest of the Western Empire and took up residence at Sirmium, from where he defeated the Goths and the Sarmatians in 322, and then the Goths again in 323. In 323, Licinius began to go against the Edict of Milan and oppress the Christians. He didn't execute anyone, he just restricted their ability to worship and made people sacrifice to the old Roman gods. Constantine should have been furious, but politician that he was, he was pleased. At last he had his excuse to rid himself of his final rival. He gathered up his legions and marched against Licinius. The two great armies opposed each other, first near Adrianople, and then, on the 18th of September, near Chrysopolis. Licinius was defeated and fled to Nicomedia, where he was besieged by Constantine's army. The next day, he was forced to abdicate. He was allowed to live. After all, he was married to Constantine's sister. Constantine soon changed his mind on this rather key point, though, and had poor old Licinius executed, aged 62. Licinius had been a reasonably good ruler, but Constantine had won. And remember who writes the history? Yep, the winner. So all Licinius' statues were torn down and all of his laws were overturned. He was painted as a cruel and nasty man, even though he wasn't anywhere near as bad as some had been and had actually done a pretty good job. He had, after all, reigned for 16 quite peaceful years. Number of emperors. One. The only emperor left was the man known to history as Constantine the Great. Constantine the Great had defeated all of his rivals. Constantine the Great would become a Christian and change the empire and the world forever. Constantine the Great would build a magnificent new capital and prove to be a very successful emperor. Constantine the Great, though, had a dark side, as his wife and eldest son were soon to find out. And next time, we will find out. Oh, as well as watch Constantine construct... Constantinople. So, until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.